When you're in the midst of a deep valley, joy seems far away. God's word tells us that he protects us, but grief and hardship can be crushing. Today, Pastor Daniel explains how the Father's intention for us goes far beyond just protection. He wants to fill us with his joy. So even though we can count on life to take us through tough times, we can be comforted knowing joy will come. Now here's Pastor Daniel in the Gospel of John, chapter 17, verse 6, with his continuing study entitled, Sneak Peek. open-minded, but I really don't like those people who are closed-minded. It's like, well, that's intolerance. True tolerance is saying, I don't agree with you, but I respect that you have that opinion. And when you are talking with people, I encourage you to be tolerant in the way the word is meant to exist. Where you say, look, I don't agree with you, but you know what? I respect you as a person. And let your disagreements with people, whether they be political, theological, economic, or whatever, let it be on that level. Where you're saying, look, I don't agree with you, but you know what? I respect you, and I respect the fact that you have the right to your own opinion just the way I do. That's true tolerance. And that is something that is in short supply in the world, and it's in short supply in the church. And we're not responsible for what goes on in other people's lives. We're responsible for our own lives. This is important. See, brothers and sisters, eternal life is now. There's only one true God. Because if there was multiple gods, then he wouldn't be God. We'd be unable to worship God because there'd be a million gods. So it's not really the idea of godhoodness. It implies uniqueness. There's only one God, and that one God sent his son, Jesus of Nazareth. That's why we believe that Jesus is the only way. Listen to Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. Wow. Let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me. If you are here today and you are pursuing knowing God, having an intimate relationship with God, what we call here divintimacy, then God delights in that. What good is it? What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Jesus said. What does it profit to have all the money in the world and miss out on true riches? What's hard for most of us is that we have access to more money than most of the people in the world, 
but yet we neglect the true riches and the true delight of knowing God. Now in verse 6, we move to Jesus' prayer for his disciples. Look at verse 6. It says this, I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours, and all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now notice this. Verses 6 to 10. Jesus' concern for us is covenantal. Jesus' concern for us is covenantal. Now, last week, Pastor Bill spoke about this as promises, which is the common way we talk about this. But the theological term for this is covenant. The idea here is that God is focused on his own people who he's made a specific covenant with. Just in the way, I am called to love everybody, but I have a specific covenant with my wife, Lynn. I cannot love people the way I love her, or I shouldn't. I have made a specific promise to a specific person to specifically be her husband, to love her and serve her and try and provide for her and wash her with God's word and all these things. That is unique from what I do with other people. God's concern for us is covenantal. He's made a promise over and over again in these verses. Jesus is, he's like a broken record. Whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me. And they have kept your word. It's all about his own people. His own purposes. His own plans. The promises that he has made. And the Bible from cover to cover is about this reality of God having and making promises to people and keeping them in covenant. And remember, Pastor Bill said this last week, that because people don't keep their promises, we doubt that God will keep his promises as well. And that's why so much of our lives are lived not trusting God, but trusting in our own ideas. Because we're like, well, God said these things, but I don't really know if he's going to put up for this stuff. And that's why it's hard. We live in a world of broken promises, But God is faithful. Listen to Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 to 34. It says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers and the day that I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, Though I was a husband to them, says the Lord, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. This is speaking about the covenant that Jesus is going to inaugurate. 
at the cross and through the resurrection. The covenant where God takes his spirit and places his spirit to dwell within all who would believe. This is what we call being born again. Where God takes his spirit and says, look, I'm going to forgive you and I'm going to dwell within you. And the reality is, is that you don't need teachers. My job is to be a reminder. That's my job as a pastor. My job is to remind you of what you already know. If you're here today and you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you've had your sins forgiven and you have complete access, equal access to the Father that I have or any person has. This is one of the differences between what we know when we read the Bible and what the Catholic Church practices. The Catholic Church says you need to go through somebody to get to God. And the Bible teaches, no, all you need is Jesus. Jesus is the flow through. And if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, we say, hey, pray for me. Can you? We pray for each other. But we all just pray to Jesus. My prayers don't get special weight. It's not like I got like the, you know, the local call to God because I have an ordination certificate or something. We all bow our hearts and we talk to God in the name of Jesus. Equally. God loves us equally. He's put his faith in us because God's concern for us is covenantal. He's made a promise and he intends to keep that promise. Now, in verse 11, look at what we get. It says this, now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep them through your name, those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept. And none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. You notice in verse 11, 12, and 15, Jesus is praying that God the Father may keep his disciples over and over and over again. Keep them through your name. In verse 12, I kept them in your name. Verse 15, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. Of course, this is a reference to God's keeping or God's shepherding. These verses simply teach us this. God protects his own to fulfill his joy in them. God protects his own to fulfill his joy in them. This idea of keeping, God protecting. And this, you know, we see this all through the scriptures, this idea of God as the shepherd. Jesus as the shepherd. Listen to John 10, verses 27 to 30. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand I and my father are one brothers and sisters this should make your heart beat a little quicker God protects his own God keeps his own God has a jealous eye on your life. 
Now, a lot of people say, oh, God's being jealous. I mean, who wants to have a relationship with a jealous God? Because when we think about someone jealous, we think about like some irate boyfriend or something. Like every time you say hi to someone, they like fly off the handle or something. See, God's love for you makes him jealous for you because he wants to protect you. He cares about you. He cares about what you're involved in. So God protects us, but he doesn't just protect us. Notice, he protects his own to fulfill his joy in them. Look at what, we, what Jesus says in verse 13. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. So the reason God protects us is that he may fulfill his own joy in his people. Wow. When was the last time you praised God for his joyfulness? When was the last time you hung out in God's joy? Most people, when they think about God, they don't think about God as joyful. I think of Nehemiah 8.10. The joy of the Lord is your strength. God is infinitely joyful. Jesus said this in John 15, 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Part of being part of the family of God, being a Christian, is God fulfilling his own joy in and through our lives. And that's why Galatians 5, 22, one of the fruit of the Spirit is what? Joy. God is joyful. God wants to take his joy, place it in you, that our joy may be full in him. How cool is that? I mean, don't you think that's kind of rad? That God says, look, I want to fulfill my joy in your life. Now, when I think of joy, I don't think of like slapstick silliness. See, most of us, our ideas of joy are situational. Something happens that gives me joy. See, true joy is not situational. It's a disposition of the heart. So, yeah, things may make us laugh. Things may be funny. But joy is a heart disposition that is enjoying life. Now, we know that sometimes life isn't enjoyable, right? But even in the midst of pain, joy can be present. Jesus, I mean, of course, we read about it in the book of Hebrews. That for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and now is seated at the right hand of the Father. See, Jesus, even though he was going to the most gruesome of deaths, he had joy because he knew what God was up to. He knew God was doing something. He trusted God. And that's the same for you and I. You might be going through a deep valley right now. But God, if you trust him, will give you joy in the midst of sorrows. The psalm says, though the sorrows may last for the night, joy comes with the morning. If it's a dark night for your soul, know that the sun is going to rise in your heart. God protects his own to fulfill his joy in them. And we're going to close with verses 17 to 19. Look what it says, verse 17. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. You have sent me into the world. I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified 
by the truth. I took the three main words in these verses. I put them all together. Look, Jesus wants us sanctified by truth for mission. Jesus wants us sanctified by truth for mission. Now, if you've come to Crossroads any length of time, and if you've heard me speak more than a few times, you know that I like this stuff. This is my one-string guitar, or I'm a bass player, so my one-string bass. This is the string that every time I see it in the Scriptures, I get a little giddy inside. Notice, Jesus, he says, sanctify them by your truth. And then in verse 19, for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified. Sanctified means to set apart, to make holy. I always use the same example, the fine china and the kid's birthday party. Remember that example? That you don't bring out the fine china when it's your seven-year-old birthday party. That is reserved flatware and plateware for a specific thing, and it's not for birthday parties. Part of being a Christian means that you realize that you have been set apart for a greater purpose. So sanctified. Jesus wants us set apart, separated from the mundane and the things that are off-putting. Separated out. That's what sanctified means. Notice, he wants us sanctified by truth. See that? Verse 17, by your truth. And then Jesus doesn't stop there. He says, your word is truth. See, Jesus wants us sanctified by truth. God's word is truth. When was the last time you allowed God's word to set you apart and not your own feelings? When was the last time you were teachable enough to open up God's word and say, you know what, whatever this says, I'm going to live it out. And I'm not going to make an excuse. I'm not going to try and do some interpretational gymnastics to get around it. I'm not going to try and use grace as a reason not to follow God's word. I'm not going to use X, Y, or Z as an excuse to get out of it. I'm just going to open up and say, Lord, set me apart with this word. Your word is truth. The apostle Paul picks this up in Ephesians chapter 5. When talking about husbands and wives, it's awesome that chapter, Ephesians 5, where he talks about husbands and wives. Paul can't just talk about husbands and wives. He really wants to talk about Jesus and the church. Look what he says in Ephesians 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Wow. He's talking about husbands and wives. He's like, he's talking about Jesus in the church, that he might sanctify and cleanse her by the washing of water by the word. God's word sets us apart. The truths that are taught in God's word makes us change because it's a living word. Most of us don't read the Bible because we don't want to change. Because every time you open it up, you realize that you don't live this way. And I'm not preaching down on you guys. This is my own life. I read the Bible every day and I'm like, oh man, yikes. Sorry, Lord. See, but as we interact, see, I always say this. The Bible is an alternative 
set of ways of looking at the world. That's what it is. It gives us a new, it's new, it's a new influencer. We get 24 hours a day, seven days a week of one way of looking at the world. Then you open up the Bible and you get a whole other way of looking at the world. And that's what makes it challenging. But God, Jesus wants us to be sanctified by truth, his word. And I end it with for mission. Why? <laughs> Look at verse 18. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. See, God sent Jesus. Jesus sends us. And this is, for you and I, this is what it means to be a Christian. It doesn't mean to go to church. It means just as God sent Jesus, Jesus sends you and I to wherever your context is, whatever your passion is, God has sent you there. And you're not there just to get a paycheck. You're there as God's ambassador and they pay you to be there. And you get to do a good job. And you do your job not for your boss or for your bonus. You do it for Jesus. And your company gets the benefit of that. This is mission. This is God's heart. God didn't just call us to be part of his church so we can sit around and sing worship songs. He called us to be part of his church so that we can come and sing worship songs, be reminded of what we know to be true, and then go out 24 hours a day, seven days a week to do what God has called us to do. Just the way Jesus did, so we are in the world. This is mission. And our knowing, our divintimacy should be making room for mission in our lives. But you have to ask yourself, you can only have one master, right? So if your plans for your life, you've come up with them before and you're hoping God's going to put his rubber stamp on it, you're not on God's mission. You are on yours. And I had to learn this and I'm still learning this. Lord, what's your purpose? What's your plans? I want to be about your mission, not my own. Lord, I want to find out, Lord, what are you doing? What do you want to do? And I'll get on board with that, not saying, Lord, this is what I'm doing. Will you, will you bless this, please? God, Jesus, wants us to be sanctified by truth for mission. And for some of us, I believe that God right now is saying to you, you're not on my mission. And all God asks us to do when we realize that we're about our own thing and not God's thing is say, God, I'm sorry. Will you help reorient my life around your mission? I want to close with a scripture. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. It's one of my favorite verses on being on mission. It says this, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain, in the Lord. I love this. Be steadfast. Don't quit. Be immovable. Hunker down. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. That's mission right there. Always being about his business, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Whatever you do for God's glory, whatever you do is not in vain. You may not see the results you want, but you will always get the results that God intends. Jesus is real. As we heard in Pastor Daniel's message today, God cares not only for our well-being, but wants us to experience joy in life. This was a comforting word to hear. This was a comforting word to hear 
that when we're God's, His love for us overwhelms us with care and protection. When we have that confidence in Him, we can fulfill His mission for us to go out into the world as His ambassador. Everything is for Him, for His glory, and to fulfill His plans for us. God does amazing things when we simply listen to His Word. He transforms and shapes us into His image as we are exposed to the Bible. Maybe after listening today, someone specific is on your heart. You know that this message is something they need to hear. Please log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com. You can share this message to your Facebook timeline, tweet a link, or even embed the audio wherever you'd like. So log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and share this message with your family, friends, and neighbors. Join Pastor Daniel in the next edition of Jesus Is Real Radio when we'll begin a new study as we look to God's Word for His instructions on how to live. We hope you have been inspired by this idea of divine intimacy, deepening your understanding of the Father and growing in love and obedience. No matter what the world brings, we can be confident that our Father has us in His hands, loving us for all of our days. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church.